0: Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. Today's guest is Greg Nelson, also known as Chasing the Grain on Instagram. Greg lives in Antioch, Illinois, and was one of the first people I followed when I started carving myself. His work has influenced and inspired me a lot. I feel very lucky to be able to speak to him today and learn a bit more about him and his work. Yeah hi, Greg. Welcome. Hi, how are you? <laughs> good. <laughs> good. thanks. So uh first of all, um I'd like to know a little bit um, about where you live, because, yeah, I didn't know much about it, and, and I looked um, on the Instagram, I went and clicked on the on the link on the hometown where you live just to see what mm-hmm. what came up, and it was full of mustangs and women wearing bikinis. And then <laughs> and then some of your spoons in between these things. So, <laughs> so I'm quite what intrigued.
1: I don't know if I've seen any of the women wearing bikinis around town, but <laughs> I suppose it could be. I'm yeah. actually I'm in uh, the United States, of course. So I'm in Illinois, which yeah. is I'm right outside of Chicago. So I'm just north of Chicago, um, a little town called Antioch, and we're actually right on the border with Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife works up in Kenosha, so that's why we located in this area. So we're kind of we're kind of rural, but we're kind of close to things too. So we're we're kind of in between areas. We're not out in the middle of nowhere, but we're not. Close to the city, either. So, yeah, had to go back
0: and forth between those two worlds. I guess. Okay. Yeah. And I, I wonder then, is there a what's the connection with the Mustangs? Is there a factory there? Do you know, or is there something with the Fords and the, the Mustangs? Are they doing something? Well, I I have no idea what the connection is there
1: because uh-huh. not that I know of. I mean, we we live just we're actually closer to Kenosha, which is in Wisconsin. So there's the Amazon warehouse up there. It's a huge Amazon warehouse. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I got maybe Mustangs. You're speaking of Mustangs as cars, I think. I'm thinking of the horses. <laughs>
0: Uh, Okay, yeah, no, it was cars, it was definitely Ford, Mustangs, cars, and yeah, often with a bikini-clad woman kind of draped over it, so I was like, wondering if you knew something about it, maybe, it's a whole other world yet to to be discovered.
1: (laughs) The only Mustang connection I have is I went to a high school in Rolling Meadows, Illinois, and it was home of the Mustangs, like the Mustangs' horses. Okay, yeah other than that i don't know that there's any other connection up here that's funny
0: it's funny when you search the internet what pops up <laughs> yeah it was and then yes yeah, some of your spoons because you um tagged the the hometown antioch where you're from so i i looked at that i had to actually look up how to pronounce it too the i don't know the <laughs> the word was i was guessing like antioch and i i couldn't that's figure really it out so i yeah.
1: It's actually like, I think there's an Antioch in the Bible and that maybe is where it gets its name from, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but most people, when they first see it, they say like Antioch. Yep. <laughs> and that's I have
0: to correct them. Nope, it's Antioch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you moved there how long ago and where did you move from? Um,
1: I came from a little west of there. And I was living with my parents before that in McHenry, and before that, actually, more closer to Chicago and Arlington Heights. Mm-hmm. And that was probably ten or fifteen years ago now. When I met my wife, we started dating and um, eventually got married, and decided that you know on where she was going to work because she's you know our primary primary earner in the household because she's a pediatrician. So yeah, we had to move closer to Kenosha where she actually works now. Yeah. Um, for practice. And we've been in Antioch for probably over 10 years now. First, we moved into a town home and then we had two little kids and um, needed a little more space, of course. So then we moved. Honestly, we moved right around the block because we liked the area. And we yeah. found a nice place that was the right price. So we, we moved into a single family home. We're basically in the same place we've been for the last 10 or 15 years now.
0: Yeah. Ah, But that sounds nice. So you already, yeah, you knew the area. It wasn't like a, a big change of scenery no, in that sense. Yeah,
1: It wasn't a huge change. And we, we liked it out here because it's, it's quiet. It's not as busy as the city or the suburbs. Uh, you know, in the suburbs, you can get in your car and it takes you a half an hour to go what should be a five minute drive. Up here, you get in your car and you drive for half an hour and you get miles and miles without any traffic. So it's it's kind of nice. It's not so congested.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Yeah, to have your own space and and a yeah. garden and yeah.
1: Yeah, we, we have a nice more backyard than I would have cared to have. <laughs> But it definitely
0: gives me my exercise in the summer taking care of it. Yeah, yeah, it's not to be underestimated. Just maintaining a garden, even if it's not huge, but yeah, the lawns and then the trees and yeah, it's it's definitely work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something we're looking forward to. We're actually keeping our eyes out and thinking about moving. We now live in a in a um, apartment the last years, and we have two kids too. So yeah, I'd love to. Do something similar and find a bit more space to yeah for the kids yeah. to play and and yard uh, and garden
1: for the kids yeah yeah get a place to go that's safe in the backyard where they can run around and get their energy out yeah it's a little in the house
0: <laughs> yeah where do you um, so with a with a house you've got plenty of space I think mm-hmm. in the, in the videos I saw you're carving usually where you're sitting now downstairs do you, is that your prime uh, prime working of,
1: space? Yeah, this has sort of become my primary hole in the wall down here in the basement. Yeah. Um, when we first looked at the house, and we came down in the basement, and I saw this area, and I was like, "Oh, this is perfect."
0: <laughs>
1: like mess down here, uh, be quiet, and by myself, and do all my work. So I do. I do a lot of the work inside, especially during the winter and through the pandemic. Um, inside work is the place to be, um, when it gets warmer out, then I'll start to work out back and on the patio and get outside and take my work with me out into the woods and go for hikes with it. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I'd rather be outside carving. It's, it's more enjoyable to have sunshine on your face than to be stuck down in a basement all the time. <laughs> yeah. The basement's nice. I can use it as a base where I can, you know, if I need to rough out something at the chopping block, I have enough space down here and I can make a mess on the floor and sweep it up. And, mm-hmm. um, it works out really well. It's just a good, a good base area to have the shop. I call it a shop, but it's really more of just a, a mess. You look <laughs> around, there's, there's stuff everywhere. The, the table in front of me here is covered with spoons and tools and, you know, all the stuff I've collected over, like, six years plus of carving. It yep. kind of, the hobby just expands and sort of pulls up your life as you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: so it, it's good I have the space now. And your space where you can, to a degree, no, like, escape to your own space, your family is upstairs, and obviously they might still come down and, and ask things mm-hmm. and want want you, part, but...
1: For the most part, I, I mostly come down here if I want to chop something out of a chopping block because I have the space and I can make the best. Yeah. Um, after that, I, a lot of my carving, I still like to sit up in the kitchen and carve because the light's nice coming through the patio window. I can be with the kids. They can be running around while I'm working on a spoon and can interact and still still each kind of do our own thing and be with each other, which which is important. I don't yeah. like solely get. Sometimes it's nice to just carve by yourself, but I like to have the interaction with people and have the family around while I'm working too. Yeah. So I mostly just do axe work down in the
0: basement. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that's nice. I guess your kids are slightly older than mine, and I have mm-hmm. the issue. I also enjoy it sometimes when I'm uh, when I'm carving together and they're drawing or, or doing. But often is the case. My my kids are a bit younger, and then, yeah, they want my yeah. attention too, and that can be uh, – sometimes yeah. it's fine, but it can also be, uh, yeah, nice to have your own space where you can really zone in and, and, and right. concentrate in on it. Right. But I guess as they get older, they're uh, more able to say, no, Dad's busy. I'll leave him to it. And, uh, yeah. It yeah,
1: they, I got news for you. They still bug you. <laughs> post- okay. Back, you know, I'm <laughs> constantly putting the work down or – or if it's, you know, if I'm working on a fresh piece of wood, I'll have to go and stick it in the freezer while I deal with them and make them a snack or yeah. take care of the lunches or dinners, you know, that's mm. that's just part of it. You know, I, I think I decided a long time ago that if I'm going to actually carve and try and get good at it, I'm just going to have to deal with those distractions. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people, they give up on whatever they're doing. Because they feel like they're too distracted all the time from kids or work or whatever it is they, they have to do, you know, just just to maintain the status quo. Yeah. And I think it's important that you just I finally decided, okay, this is gonna be my craft, this is for me. It doesn't matter what happens in life, I'm gonna go ahead and make time for it, figure it out. Which yeah. isn't always
0: easy, but
1: you know. I'm glad I did it that way.
0: Yeah. So, do you have you or at all or any time during it? Then have a some sort of routine, or is that developed naturally? Some sort of routine, or is it very much as we're saying now, where we fit it in and do it like this?
1: It's it's a little bit of both. I I have to fit things in when I can, but I, I do have kind of a routine where. I know my process of carving a spoon from start to finish really well. So I can, I, I know how long it takes me to rough out a spoon blank. I know how long it takes me to do the general knife work on it, to get it to a place where I can set it aside in the freezer. Mm -hmm. And then I know how long it takes me to finish it. So I've kind of like three or four stages that I can work through. And I can relatively finish a spoon with ease in about a day's time from, you know, morning up to before I go to bed at night, having it ready to, I'll sit them on my bedpost at night to dry out overnight. Yeah. And then the next morning they're, they're ready to do some finish cuts when I get a few moments in the morning to myself.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, you know, between, yeah.
1: between either my daughter going to preschool for a little bit during the day or my son, He's in his online schooling, so I have time when, when he's busy on his tablet doing his school. You know, those are times for me to jump in. And if I'm not cleaning the house, which I probably should be, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can jump in and do a little work on a spoon. So I kind of piece it out through my day as I go, yeah. which, which is very different than when I started When I started carving, I would sit down and carve for hours at a time and get, you know, zoned into it. I think a lot of carvers started out working that way. You get really, really zoned into what you're doing. And I found that it's really taxing. I mean, hands, both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. So I think having the kids and the distractions sort of forced me to come up with a routine that was actually better for me yeah I think I actually carve better now that i don 't sit down for long spells
0: yeah, and as often the case uh, with me too very, whereas i 'm very much similar where i yeah i 'm forced to put it down there 's something else to do, and coming back to it with with fresh eyes is probably a good thing because, like mm-hmm. you say too long yeah. you 're just you kind of get blurry and you might keep working yeah. and make progress, but it 's not the same as no, H- having a break so and coming back to it. Put it down and come back to it a little yep. bit later.
1: Yeah, and I don't like to leave a spoon too long before I finish it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I might leave a spoon a day or maybe two days before I get back to it. But usually, I work through the process and finish a spoon in a day. Okay. And then if there's anything left to do on it, any tweaking, I'll do that the next morning after everything's dried
0: yeah and then f- very much finished to drying finishing cuts and oiling and then it's done and you start with the next one
1: it's done and i can start with another one i yeah. don't like to have a lot of people will carve a bunch of spoons and leave them to finish yeah i can't work that way it just it never worked for me something about leaving an unfinished spoon sitting around just doesn't it yeah. doesn't sit right with me because I'll never finish it. I'll never yeah. get back to it if I don't finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and each one's very unique to me. So, you know, I I like to focus on each one and give it all my attention with every carving or every pass
0: over it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm there. I'm a bit the opposite until I, I finish and let them dry and I have a big uh, bowl full of just needs finishing as i i said on the last podcast but uh yeah maybe i will try and just stick with it and, and get it done because I, I like what you're saying and i definitely like the satisfaction of it's done and on to the next right. one so yeah yeah and then
1: you know I'll, I'll look at a finished spoon for a few moments or you know through the course of a day i'll set it up on the window sill in the kitchen or I'm doing my dishes and my work in the kitchen, and I'll look at it and pick it up and play with it and study it and think, oh, maybe I could do this a little different, or maybe I'd like to make the handle a little shorter, or maybe I wanna put this little detail in. And then I'll, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what do I wanna do with the next spoon? Where do I uh-huh. wanna go from
0: here? Okay. And that's
1: that chase that keeps me going. Yeah. <laughs> And pushes me on to
0: carve another spoon. Yeah. Okay. That's that was going to be a, a question that leads nicely because when I when I look at your your spoons, I can kind of see this that you have something similar in all the, in all the spoons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's definitely a, a theme carrying on. But it, I can see when I f- look through your Instagram, I can see an evolution of it happening. Mm-hmm. Little little details that uh, come and go and slowly evolve. So yeah, I can really see this happening. And and is that then something you consciously do or it happens by itself that you find a detail you like and you try it again and change it as you, as you go? It, it's a little bit of
1: both again. Um, that's, I definitely more consciously do that now. Um, I think I've learned from other experienced carvers that I've, hung around and talked to and just followed their work on Instagram that it's as long as you keep the process all the same like I don't change the way I axe things out too much or the way I do the knife work the technique is all the same yeah what changes is just little ideas here and there or sometimes I'll make a little mistake on a spoon and decide oh wait a minute go with that because that's an interesting little detail on a spoon and i'll incorporate it and all of a sudden you'll see it show up in all my other spoons down Uh the line yeah Um, it's just an evolution and you just i'm always i'm always kind of looking for those little unexpected turns when i'm carving that will sort of inspire me and i'll think oh yeah that's you know, if there's a little chip defect or something in the wood, I'll think, yeah, that I can incorporate that into the spoon and give it a little more character than just carving a plain spoon every time the exact same spoon. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really the art of, of doing everything the same, but making it different. Yeah. <laughs> and I, for me, that's what keeps it interesting. If I just tried to repeat and copy the same spoon every time. I've done that in the beginning just for practice because it's good to see if you can copy yourself yeah. and make you know the same template exactly the same again and again. But then you start to realize that each piece of wood is, is so individual, even from the same tree, that you really can't make exact yeah. copy and then and you that's can... the whole impetus of the craft I think is we're not making something exact every time we're making it a little bit different and
0: tweaking it and playing with
1: it and having fun yeah. putting a little easy into the craft
0: <laughs> yeah but and at the same time there is a a certain thought that's going into it. you're not jumping completely around from style to style, like I said, it's yeah, very mm-hmm. sort of subtle ongoing uh development and, and investigation into really. the shapes.
1: Yeah. and Then it just it depends on what kind of wood I'm able to salvage too, because everything that that I get to carve is all salvaged wood. So yeah. I have a couple of forest preserves where I'm allowed to go out once in a while and search through and if there's anything that's fallen down or I can use for material. I'm allowed to salvage it, but you know I don't get to pick and choose what trees to cut down and where the wood comes from. So I'm constantly getting different sizes and bits and shapes, uh-huh. uh, thinking, hmm, what what is it that I can turn this into? What's the best spoon I can get out of this piece of wood? So it might not be an eating. Sp- In the beginning, I was very focused on just eating spoons. Yeah. I wanted to come the best eating spoons I could. And then I realized, well, not every piece of wood makes a good eating spoon. Some make better scoops, some make better ladles, some will make better uh, stirring spoons or cooking spoons or even spatulas, whatever, what have you. Yeah, And now I kind of look at the wood in a very different way as I'm trying to just get the best spoon I can out of it and use it to its full potential rather yeah. than trying to dictate what I want to carve.
0: Yeah, I don't
1: just say I'm only going to carve eating spoons today
0: mm-hmm. and
1: mm. that's all I carve. And then I don't make very good eating spoons because the wood wasn't meant for an eating spoon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah an important thing, especially if you've got, limited supplies and uh limited yeah types of wood. as you say you you just have Look, to kind I, of
1: i never know where it's going to come from i mean i mostly know i'm going to find cherry wood because that's it's prevalent in my local area yeah um i carved other woods but cherry is pretty easy for me to get my hands on yeah um, because most of the forest preserves here have a lot of it and if you're patient, the wind and the storms out here will eventually knock something down. Yeah, and preserve guys come out and they'll they'll cut it up and leave it. That's the kind of stuff that if I'm out for a hike and I see it, I'm allowed to take a few bits of it. Okay. Bring
0: it it's um, the, the cherry wood. I sorry. Go ahead. I I wanted to ask because. Um, yeah, it's mostly cherry wood, but it's not the cherry wood that I know here, and it's not like an edible cherry, is it? It's What sort of yeah, cherry it, is this it? This is like a
1: wild cherry.
0: Yeah. Um, the
1: Latin, I believe, is Prunus serotna, if I'm uh-huh. not mistaken. On that. And, and sometimes it's just your garden variety of wild cherry, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to find what's what's more classified as a black cherry which is much darker, much more fragrant wood. Um, cherry just smells wonderful when the car, it. Mm-hmm. It's got this sort of almondy vanilla flavor to it. And yeah. it just it smells great when you crack a log open. Um, yeah. But mostly it's, it's just your wild cherry. And the stuff around here, because it's not, I think it's more of an invasive around here than it is local. Okay. So grew really very wild and twisty in these parts. Yeah. Whereas if you go to a different part of the states like Pennsylvania, you'll get very straight, tall, straight grain cherry, trees, big, brown pumps of it. Here, the stuff I get is, you know, twisted, gnarly. Mm. It's it's <laughs> very unusual. It's not like what you would find throughout the rest of the country. Yeah. So I, I kind of like it, you know, and I thought at first, when I started carving it, I thought, "Well, this is not the best wood to carve. It's sometimes it's a little rotten and punky, and sometimes it's it's not straight. And it's knotty, and it's got these little sap and gum pits throughout okay. it." But then I just learned, you know what? That's that's what's available, so that's what I have to carve. Yeah, you know, that's I'm gonna make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. I really don't go looking for other woods anymore because I'm so used to carving it that way that, you know, I find it a
0: challenge. if It's fun to you know. And I poss-
1: used to actually,
0: go ahead. I was going to say possibly mm, the fact that you're using the same wood is, yeah, you just get to know it and this is one mm-hmm. less variable, right? Because, right. yeah, different types of wood, yeah, have their c- completely really different um Tendencies and some are knots, and this is a whole other thing when you're jumping around suddenly what you could have worked for your your plan A just doesn't work with this type of wood so
1: type of wood.
0: Yeah. yeah, so having the one type of wood you get to know it uh, very well I used to when I was before
1: I knew how to source wood and find it on my own. I used to actually carve a lot of birch wood, yeah that's not something that grows naturally in my area. So I would actually I went to if you go to like wedding planner sites, um, they sell birch wood and they'll sell it in like, you know, 12 foot sections that are about three inch diameter. And I used to order like boxes of birchwood and yep. ask to cut it fresh and ship it. And I get like six logs of a shipment. So I carved a lot of birch, but then I was paying for my wood. Yeah, I realized after you know a year of that 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 was kind of dumb. Yeah, when I could go out and look myself and see, you know, you can go to like a firewood place, and sometimes they'll have wood just laying around that they haven't cut up yet. Yeah, Uh, you know, they're happy to sell you for a few bucks or trade a spoon for it. Yeah, and you know, and then I figured out that my local forest has lots of cherries so
0: yeah yeah um, I mean it's
1: like ex- do but, but starting out it was nice because it gave me a nice consistent piece of wood and birch is pretty easy to carve um it's it was a nice way to go you could spend 30 dollars on six logs and you know that would last me a month or two when I was just starting out so yeah. it was great practice and fun and Yeah, and just a little aside.
0: Yeah, but it's uh, it's interesting looking at yeah other other options. There's uh, there's other ways to source your wood. Yeah, yeah.
1: You you shouldn't feel like there isn't a place to source wood from. Yeah, I mean, I I've even carved bone dry maple wood that I got from a friend's house when they had chopped down a a giant maple tree, and I had run out of wood, and I had been using. round of maple as a chopping block and i decided well if i'm gonna carve spoons i gotta (laughs) i gotta chop my block so i (laughs) sacrificed the block and i chopped you know like 10 or 12 nice little maple eating spoons okay Um, i didn't have a chopping block when i was done and i had to go back and look for more wood (laughs) yeah that's all part of the journey it's so interesting i think places where we can actually source our materials and you know I don't think I've ever cut down a tree in all of my six years I never have it's always been something salvaged so I like that in the sense that we're kind of recyclers and we're taking something that you know was just gonna rot on the forest floor Mm -hmm. and turning it into something useful and beautiful
0: yeah, and I think if you if you really yeah keep your eyes open for most people I would say if they walk or go drive around their neighborhood or something mm-hmm. and just keep their eyes open more often than not you'll I I see wood now at this time yeah, of yeah. year here in uh, Germany they're pruning a lot and it's literally like oh 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 and I have to not take yeah. any more wood home I I have a mm-hmm. freezer full and I mm-hmm. picked up mm-hmm. some very nice logs recently so uh, yeah. that's enough so six years. How did you, so have you been carving for spoons specifically for six years? Did yeah, I get that
1: right? I've been spoons probably, I'm a little over six years now yep. since I started. Um, before that, I actually, well, I needed something quiet to do when my son was born. Yeah, I'm a stay-at-home dad, so I was spending all my time at home with not a whole lot of hobbies other than my guitars, which I don't play very well. Yeah. Um, And I just, I needed something to occupy my time and mind quietly when I had a few free moments. So I started carving walking sticks and Um, then I got into knives and exploring that realm and learning how to actually carve facets on the walking sticks, which a lot of beginners, the first thing you want to do with them is just give them a stick and have them whittle it. Yeah. So I did a lot of whittling on walking sticks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why was it? it? Why? But uh yeah, walking sticks is for me is kind of obscure as spoons. How how did you get the idea to carve a walking stick? Well,
1: I I, I love the outdoors and I love the hike. Yeah. Um, I'm very big about getting out at least once or twice a week every week now to hike and explore and just just be out in nature and take my time so I was doing a lot of that too when I had free time still and I just said well walking sticks go perfectly perfectly yep. with that why not make them if I'm out hiking I might as well make them and see if I could sell a few of them and just make a nice little hobby out of it yeah and I think I was just doing some research on the internet about walking sticks, and I'm sure I ran into some website about spoons, you know, and carving, and the two seemed to be related, and I probably saw a picture of a spoon and thought, wow, that's really cool. I bet I could do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Little
1: little did I know it would take me six years to figure out how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, from there it just spiraled because I was at that time I was sanding walking sticks too, and I didn't care for the the dust. Uh, um, I was making diamond willow walking sticks, and you have to grind out the little diamond pits in them with like a Dremel tool, and there's lots Uh, of dust. Okay. Yeah, it just it wasn't for me. It was causing too much mess and too much debris, and Mm -hmm. it's not good to breathe all that in. And then I discovered spoons and seeing that it basically made no dust it was quiet yeah so I could put the sun down for a two-hour nap in the morning or the afternoon and sit down with a quiet axe and a knife do my work and get all the benefits of carving that carving walking sticks had given me and it was just more pleasurable yeah and it was fun because walking sticks after a while just got they got boring unless you get into doing really kind of intricate carvings on the, on the handles and things like that, which is more complicated. Spoon seems simple. It yeah. seemed like a realistic objective to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just, it caught on. I mean, my first spoons were terrible like most people mm-hmm. yeah. um, they, were, they were big hunks of wood that were poorly finished. Uh, you know, I have lots of them left still, I think. I know people won't be able to see <laughs> it. Yeah. Here's a pretty horrible spoon that I carved from my box of treasures. <laughs> but, Not you know, bad. It looks, the, yeah. Was there. I was starting to think about how a crank functioned in the spoon and thickness and how the bowl shape was supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, it was just fun. And it just, there's something very rewarding about finishing a spoon, whether, whether you make a really good one or a really terrible one, it doesn't seem to matter to most folks, as long as it's really more about the process of kind of
0: finding the wood and finding your own
1: voice through it.
0: And, and... No matter exactly the end quality, it's still you've done, you've you can see it with your own eyes. I've made turned this into this, and that's a good feeling.
1: Designed as it is, it still functions as a spoon, and I can still use it. And that was kind of like the impetus. I think I just wanted to make something I could use sort of on a daily basis. Like I I always wanted to make the perfect daily eating spoon. Yeah. You know, I I think I've been using the same eating spoon I carved probably two or three years ago now every day. Yeah, and it's never failed me. It always it's always there, and I always remember how I made it, where it came from. Yeah, it's just a nice thing to have in our daily lives.
0: Yeah. So and so right from the start, as you say, it kind of was enjoyable to you. And um, but did your enthusiasm for it Uh, get more and more over the time as you delved more into the options and design and looked and read and informed yourself or was it right from the start kind of this there's something here I really enjoy
1: well there was always something there I really enjoyed right from the start but then I started to do more research you know it's funny I have my my handle for Instagram is chasing the grain and it was kind of just a joke in the beginning, but that kind of explains the whole impetus for the spoon carving. I sort of wound up chasing this idea through over the years and through time and just expanding on it and researching. And I really got into the research and finding other people's books, spoons, websites I mean, it's, it's endless and yeah. every day you know, more and more stuff like that keeps popping up. And it just, it's sort of exploded in the last couple of years, I think, mm-hmm. um, more so than when I began, it was just kind of on the cusp of becoming a cool thing to do when yeah. I started making spoons and now it's like, you know, everybody and their cousin has an Etsy shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, there's so much variety of work out there. It's really kind of wonderful how it's happening.
0: Yeah, I think, and at this time too, maybe also specifically the last year with the the corona around the world, where people yeah are forced to yeah be more at home and uh, have more time for these things, and um, it's a good way to not be the other option if you're not out and about is often screens, right? With, with kids right. and adults mm-hmm. and all of us like mm-hmm. the screen addiction yeah. and it's hard to carve and be on a screen. So for me personally, that's mm-hmm. something I feel, yeah, okay, this is a few hours where I'm not on my phone, I'm not on the TV mm-hmm. and computer. And I think that's a really right. good thing.
1: Yeah, and it's just, like I said, once or twice a week, it's nice to just go out for a hike and maybe mm-hmm. I'll find some wood, maybe I won't maybe I'll just see a branch and it'll give me an idea for a shape that I want to carve. Yeah. It's just, it always, spoons always get me back out into the world, which I think is good for people right now. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah.
1: It's not healthy to stay inside that much in front of a screen.
0: Yeah. So I think
1: it's, again, like you said, that's part of the, I think the popularity of spoon carving right now.
0: Yeah. Um, just away from that. Yeah. Have you ever during the in these last years, have there been times where you kind of put it down and you didn't have the the feeling that you wanted to carve? Or has it been continuous and you've always enjoyed I, it? I don't think
1: so. There there have been a few moments where I kind of wanted to get more into the business of it. Yeah. And realize that it's a very competitive business. Yeah. Um and then stepped back and said okay I'm happy if I sell a couple of spoons here and there and I get to keep carving and it makes me happy that's the way to go because Mm -hmm. you know you could you could knock yourself out trying trying to sell all the spoons you carve yeah I have you know, over three hundred spoons sitting in a basket next to me, and I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to be able to sell them all. I don't have the time to market them on a website, and I'm definitely not a production carver. Yeah, um, I I really do it. To me, I think of it as a lifestyle choice, yeah. more than than a financial means to support myself. Um, nothing wrong if. People want to go that way and support themselves carving spoons. That's great. But for me, it just takes too much joy out of it. It takes, I'm too curious. I want to explore different shapes and forms and um, have more fun with it. Um, And I want other people that I carve with to find that too yeah so i kind of try and get that out to the world if i can yeah um but i'm not opposed to taking money (laughs) yeah yeah and it's (laughs) hard (laughs) the thing i always tell new carvers if somebody offers you money for a spoon (laughs) take it (laughs) yeah no because (laughs) it's something you're gonna put your heart (laughs) and your time and your you're loving to you might as well get a few bucks for it if somebody wants to give you a few bucks for it
0: yeah absolutely and especially if they have come to you and offered you money for it because like you right. said yeah to 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 sell and to, to make money from it yeah it takes a lot of energy and and thought and time i think and yeah so if yeah. it comes to you that's uh that's a, a a pretty nice thing
1: right and it's kind of I always think it's a real honor when somebody actually messages me on Instagram and says, Hey, I like your work. Can I buy a spoon? Yep. I'm always, yep. always thrilled with that. Yep. Um, that's also kind of one of those indicators. I think that you, maybe you're, yeah, maybe your spoons are getting good enough that you could put a price on some of them. Yeah, And you know, I, I, that's a whole nother ball of wax trying to mm-hmm. figure out what you should sell your spoons for. Yeah. I go back and forth. I'm thinking, well, I have some pretty unique spoons that I want more for, and then I have some that I, I don't want that much for, and there's some in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard. I and mean, you start thinking about that, and for me it's just it putting that kind of thought into the price structure takes mm-hmm. away some of the some of the value of carving the spoon. Yeah. Um, for me it's more. It's a healthy thing. it helps me mentally stay focused and physically with my hands have something to do and I don't know, I just don't see turning it into a business right now. Yeah. I always threaten to come up with a website, but then i never
0: I never do it yeah <laughs> we we messaged briefly about this because. Yeah, uh, yeah, some sort of middle ground would be nice to find, wouldn't it? Because in a right. sense, having right. spoons piling up also doesn't. Yeah, somehow it would I be really nice if they were out in the, the world.
1: Using them, right. Mm-hmm.
0: But at the same mm-hmm. time, to put so much thought and energy into selling is also just yeah, not the maybe not the not favorite, favorite part. Food and food something.
1: Thing. I mm-hmm. think most of us carving spoons are more on the creator side than yep. we are on the. Business yep. side of yeah. Those are those are hard to manage. That's yep. those are two halves of a coin that are hard to keep in balance with one another.
0: Yeah. So some sort of middle ground, but but I think it does take a uh, it does take a certain degree of saying, hey, I have spoons to buy. Some people I see oh, yeah. um, when they post their spoon, they put a price mm-hmm. of it there, and and this could oh, be yeah. a good thing to make the person where okay i can see the spoon and they want 25 for mm-hmm. it and i don't because just by saying offer me something i've got the same in my instagram profile i'm happy to mm-hmm. sell but i think it's not straightforward enough for, for a lot of people mm-hmm. to say
1: you really need to like construct a, a kind mm-hmm. of a little website just something simple yeah. and Put it up there with a real price on it. It's it just becomes more real when you do that to people. I think yeah, they're more apt to make a purchase. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm still have sort of this really backwards business model that I use, where I'm more interested in I want to sell my spoons to people who are really really interested in buying my spoons that yeah. really like the direction I'm going with things and are willing to contact me. And I like to have a little conversation with people. I like to get to know a little bit about my customers. I come from a retail background and sales is kind of what I had done all my life until I got married and had kids. Did a lot of management and retail sales and um, lots of selling techniques. And it's always this push to get the person to buy something. (laughs) Yeah, It's not much about the person as it is getting the dollars out of their wallet. Yeah. And I kind of reverse that model in the way I do things. I'd rather get to know the person more Uh and then slowly, if they're comfortable handing over a few dollars, get that sale from them. And it, the way I've done that, I've built a lot of repeat customers that way, because then they get to know you, they get to know your work and, Later on down the line, when they want to buy something really, really nice, you can say, Oh, I'd like maybe $50 for that piece because it's a really nice piece. Yeah, they have no problem giving it that money over because you've spent the time with them, you've built a real relationship. Yeah, and you know, everyday sales, you don't do that. Customer yep. comes in the store, you size them up and figure out what their needs are and sell them as much as you can yeah (laughs) and whereas i'm like well if you only want to buy a little tiny spoon and you only want to pay ten dollars for it i'm more than happy to talk to you about that that's fine if you want to buy a big ladle and spend a hundred dollars on something that you know took me 10 hours to carve yeah fine with that too we can talk about it and have a discussion and I think it's just a better way to sell something handmade since it's such a handmade is such a personal kind of a unique item.
0: Yeah. Um, and especially if it's, yeah, you're in the lucky situation where you're not needing to do it to to make a living.
1: So I don't have to make a living doing it. Yeah. So I, I'm a patient man in that regards. I don't, yeah. I don't have to make a thousand dollars selling spoons mm-hmm. this month. Yeah, You know, if I make a couple hundred bucks, I'm okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm a sucker for spoons. So I'll go back and I'll pump the money right back into the craft. Yeah, I'll go buy somebody else's spoons then. And it, it all again comes back to that sort of recycling idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you buy a spoon for me, I'll probably go out and buy a spoon from someone else. And that money just gets put back into the craft. Yeah. And we all sort of just... We all feel good because we sold a spoon because we, <laughs> we bought a spoon. Hey, yeah. It just, it just goes around and around.
0: Yeah, um, no, that's a very nice idea. A very nice way of way of looking at it. And like you said, like you say, yeah, uh, something similar happened with me, and that I've gifted spoons to kind Mm of uh, friends and family and friends of family and often they've actually been the ones that come back and, hey, it's so cool and have bought spoons from me. So Mm -hmm. that's very Mm -hmm. much the organic way you're talking about is connecting to the person and and they, yeah, appreciate your work and and may buy again. I
1: I like to have more spoons than I can sell for the very reason that usually if I do sell a spoon, I will usually include another spoon with it, no charge. I typically, you know, I think that's fun. Then you get a little bit of surprise work and you get to see something different that maybe you, you haven't seen me carve before, yeah. or maybe older piece of work that has a completely different style and look. Maybe it's a different shape or a different style of spoon. I love, I probably give away just as many spoons <laughs> as I well, if not more. Yeah. Um to me that's important. You know, I, I could take more money for the extras, but I'd rather not. It's I get a lot of joy in seeing people open the box and say, Oh my gosh, look at all these different <laughs> spoons. This this is really cool. I wasn't expecting this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. We did a spoon swap, didn't we? And and you sent me more than one spoon, so I was yeah, exactly blown away and like oh, so so happy to uh, to have more than one spoon and to like you say compare them. And uh, that was yeah, so so generous of you and uh, yeah, such it's a nice feeling.
1: Funny. Really, I get a kick out of seeing people's reactions with that. Yeah, as well as uh, you know, I do the hand letters as well. Every spoon yeah. that I sell or send out as a swap or whatever I do with it if it goes out in the mail it gets I sit down and I write typically I just fold a sheet of paper over and I'll fill that paper with as much writing as I can Mm -hmm. and it's all just I used to do a lot of writing so that it goes into that too again that's Mm -hmm. another hobby that I really like is poetry and fiction and writing Mm -hmm. um And I wanted to kind of combine that with the carving. yeah. So that's why whenever I sell a spoon or swap a spoon, I always write a pretty lengthy letter. And it's always just off the cuff, whatever I'm thinking at the moment. Yeah. If I have a few details about the customer or the person, I'll try and include something a little tailored towards them. But it's just, again, I like making that connection with people. I think that's important with anything campaign.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it very much. Where well, you also told me uh, in the letter a bit, uh, yeah, about the wood and and things like this. Uh, I really felt that with the connection. Now, obviously, the last uh, the last year has not been so much connections going on. So, face to face.
1: Not person anymore. Yeah, which I really. Mean. I had just started teaching a little bit in person. Yeah. Right before the pandemic happened actually about two weeks before we went into lockdown, I had taught my first class at a local nature center. Yeah. And I had, you know, maybe ten people sign up for it and come out. And it was oh, just wow. a free class. And the only thing I charged was if anybody liked what I carved, they could buy a spoon. And yeah. that's kind of how my model was gonna work for the okay. business side of teaching. Yeah. You'd come take a class and at the end of the class, if you're happy with what you learned, you can buy a spoon or two, yeah, and that's your payment for the teaching. Mm-hmm. And it was working great. I think I made hundred two hundred dollars worth of sales that night. Okay, and then came and it was just I miss it because it was nice to see new faces uh, and get out in the world and you know have people excited. The people get more excited in person. When yeah. they see somebody at a chopping block, the noise of the axe, uh, you know, seeing the chips fall on the floor at random. Yeah. There's really something nice about that for people to see in person. Yeah. Um, it's something most people see these days. And they yeah. get really excited.
0: Yeah. And um, well, then they,
1: when they make smoothies.
0: Yeah. So that that's very interesting. I was, that's nice. We, we, talking about this because i definitely wanted to yeah touch on that your teaching so you did it once mm-hmm. and um yeah it's a whole other interesting aspect to it to passing on your your mm-hmm. knowledge and teaching and possibly making money from it once you mm-hmm. once you want to charge i also thought the yeah, same again
1: it, it was never intended to be like a, a true business model uh-huh. like i didn't expect i was gonna make you know, a set amount of money each month teaching. I just, became, yeah. well, I'll do a few courses at the local forest preserve. And, you know, I'll sell a few spoons with it and get people yeah.
0: interested in the
1: craft.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but it was just for fun too, you know?
0: Yeah. The only thing is, once teaching, uh, I've thought about it myself and, uh, I've realized, mm-hmm. yeah. To teach, if the people are going to have their own tools, that's one thing. No, you have to think about if everyone knives and axes yeah. and things. That gets ex- rather expensive when everyone. How did you How did you do that? Do you have a lot of tools that you were um, able to lend
1: them, or? By the time I got to that point, um, I have enough tools, and mostly I was teaching the classes as a demonstration class. Okay. Basically, I, I taught like an hour of demonstration yeah. um, to get people introduced to the idea of spoon carving and how the process works, walk them through that. And then after that hour was up, they had the option to stay on. Mm-hmm. I limited after that to like four or five people could stay on after the hour and work with tools and pre-prepared blanks and things like that. because that. Okay is is yeah like you said it's very daunting yeah um if i have more than four or five people gathered around me at any one time with sharp tools (laughs) in their hands and especially beginners not necessarily knowing how to handle a knife dropping your knife i'm I'm paying attention to my own carving Um, yeah so i had limited it to like maybe five people in a Mm -hmm. circle And then we would go through some basic knife techniques and grips and just very basic things. So it was really geared towards beginner learning. um, And it was really more just the demonstration and to sort of just plant that seed in people's heads that, wow, this is something if I'm patient and it's not that expensive and I can find materials on my own. I could do this my own time, which is, you know, that's where I started. that's, that's kind of my whole idea is I want more people to carve. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily want to make a living out of it. Mm-hmm. I want to get more people interested in it because further down the line, well, then they'll start buying spoons to mm-hmm. practice some study. Uh, the more they get interested, if they can get chasing the grain like I did, yeah. then it will just expound on itself and you know, everyone will make more money. Yeah. You know, all that, those clear and craft people will start to see their sales go up, and I'll start to see mine go up as more people get interested in the craft.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that idea, I hadn't thought of that, but rather just the demonstration and free. I think it would be a very good idea because it's yeah it's not a big commitment to people that well, probably wouldn't sign up and pay money and think yeah I want to be a spoon carver but I'll, I'll watch for ten minutes which might turn into sixty minutes which might turn into oh I could possibly do that that looks fun and you could probably get a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise jump in
1: otherwise jump into yeah and it was nice because it was at the local forest preserve so they allowed me the space in their little. Hut building to do the carving inside. Uh, you know the the safety issue was there because you know we had you know I brought a little medical kit and stuff. So yeah, but he did happen to get hurt. We were taken care of. I mean, it's still very relaxed and you know yeah, um, easy to do So it was just really yeah. nice. To, you know, I didn't have to pay for the space. Mm-hmm. They got the benefit of bringing people into their programs, and, um, seeing their center space and everything they had to offer at the Forest Preserve. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a win-win for both of us.
0: Yeah, that's very nice. And what sort of people, was it a real mixture of people or what kind of people showed up?
1: Um, it, honestly, it was mostly older people. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was mostly people over 60, I would say. There, yeah. there were younger people, too. There were a couple younger people, probably more my age, like in their 40s or 30s. Yeah. But it was a lot of older people because I assume they had the time to do something yeah. like that. They weren't working, so they had time to come out or, you know, they were just more interested in that. Um, I think later on down the road, I was also start to see younger, like teenagers come out to do it, too. Yeah, I think that's kind of an audience I'd like to focus on. Not so much younger than that, because I want to make sure they understand that, you know, knives are dangerous. And yeah. You have to be careful when you do this. Yeah. Um, I think teenagers and up is a good range to focus on for teaching. Yeah. Because really anybody can do spoon carving. It's, you know, with a little bit, very little bit of minimal knowledge,
0: yeah. you know, you can
1: pretty
0: safely get into it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've had, uh, yeah, not, you don't need so much experience. That was my experience with it. As yeah, as a child, I yeah played around mm-hmm. with knives and maybe hatchets chopping wood and bits mm-hmm. and pieces, but never worked with my hands in that sense. But pretty quickly I figured out, yeah, the way the grain, mm-hmm. I, I informed myself as well, obviously, but I had a pretty good feeling for it. I think, right from the start. So maybe there's some people that have never uh, worked with their hands that really, yeah, just uh, don't get it. That's what I've also seen. Some people that take have a bit of trouble figuring out, you no know, grain direction and, and things like this. But, um, yeah, with minimal experience, I think it can be quite intuitive if you, if you play yeah, around with it.
1: You know, with just a little bit of knowledge, I mean, basically, I can tell people just get Swedish carving techniques by Willie Sundquist. Just go on Amazon and buy a copy. And that will teach you. You'll you'll never need another book all your life to learn how to carve a spoon. That will teach you everything, you know, from knife technique and grips to what kind of wood to choose and grain orientation Mm -hmm. and just very basic materials. There's I don't think there's ever there are a lot of other books that are out now, but I don't think there's ever been a better book published on the subject. Yeah. Um, I still have my copy sitting here on the desk that I go back to from time to time. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, the whole library of books now, because <laughs> once you get into it, you kind of go down that rabbit hole. It. It's, it's very easy to just keep going further and further into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I've only got the book recently, so there was definitely still some helpful, uh, some things, but I learned it the hard way, I'd say, and spent some time figuring those things out for myself. Yeah. Well, and
1: we're kind of, we're these, as human beings, we're sort of these creatures. We look at something and we say, wow, I really know I can do that mm -hmm. without really knowing how to do it. And so we jump in and, you know that's part of the learning. We make mistakes. Yeah. I have little scars and cuts and things from my first several years of carving, um, yeah. and now it's very rare that I ever nick myself, even. But you know, I had to learn from all that and say, yeah. well, if I if I get a big cut on my finger, I'm doing something wrong. I better go back to the books yeah. and get some more basic knowledge about how to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. With a with the a- the process over the over the years, obviously yeah you some stuff is conscious uh, learning and some stuff is just unconscious from putting in the hours uh, that you don't think about it but but the quality of the things get better. Were there things during the time were there ever very clear moments where where it clicked in regards to like okay, this is a better way to do it or I want I want to do this. Um, a few things for me, for example, was recently, Yeah, that the fact that the the spoon bowls itself could be rather thicker towards the handle and just taper out. I didn't have to carve a tiny, thin, thin eating spoon now I'm talking about. But rather, as long as I tapered it nicely, um, yeah, it was normally quite nice to use. So that's one thing I've realized, ah, okay, I don't always need to make the whole bowl thick. Or for me, another thing was... um, cutting in my stop cuts, I used to always mm-hmm. uh, ax in around the bowl first and then ax down the handle towards the bowl. And I had the classic uh, failure of chopping through the bowl and it's splitting off. And in the last mm-hmm. months or so, I've just realized if I just, I can you no know, hold it up here, but if I just change the angle and cut much more towards the the neck of the spoon, i pretty much take this out obviously sometimes but now very rarely do i have this problem just by ah rather than cutting down the handle i changed the angle and these are some things that that really clicked for me and now i'm like mm-hmm. yeah not having these failures and the quality of the spoons are getting better so do, mm-hmm. did you have any of those moments where it clicked Definitely. for you yeah there's, in the beginning there's
1: it's sort of dies off as you get better. In the beginning you have lots of little aha moments. Yeah. Sort of like every time you carve a spoon, it's like, oh aha, this makes mm-hmm. it better. Oh, aha, that makes it better. Yeah. And then you get to the point where you've discovered all those aha moments. Yeah. And then it's sort of like now you're just you intuitively do everything. Mm-hmm. And you just you don't think very much about it. You're just carving and carving away and you're not thinking much. And one day you're like, wait a minute. There's no more aha moments. What's going Mm -hmm. on here? So Uh they get, but then they still come. But then you'll hit one and you'll be like, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah. Like I just started working with these facets on my scoops. And I don't know if I have one. I don't think I have one down here with me, unfortunately. They're all upstairs because that's what I'm working on. But I know the ones you're talking about. Yep. The ones I've been recently posting on yep. Instagram, and I was just like, oh, aha, that's how you do these facets. Yeah, And that was a an aha moment for me. And then I took it a step further from there and realized, well, if I hollow these out inside a little bit, I can get the scoop to rock when it's full. Yep. And that's a really neat, playful feature for a coffee scoop. Because mm-hmm. when you set it down full of coffee, it kind of rocks a little like a boat. And it just, it's just a nice little extra thing to put into the scoop. Yeah. And it's just, so those aha moments get farther apart. You yeah. don't see as many of them, the better you get, because yeah. you just, you discover them all right away in the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it is, carving a spoon is a very intuitive process. You know, the the wood will very much teach you what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Or I should say the grain will teach you that. You'll yep. know almost instinctively after three or four spoons, you cannot cut against the grain. Yep. You can't make a turn down in there smooth. If you're going uphill against it, you have to come back the other way. Yep. And even if you've never read a book about spoon carving, you'll figure that stuff out. Yeah, It might take you longer, but you'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. 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 That's cool to hear, and 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 uh, yeah, your rocking spoon. So then that you didn't you didn't set out to make a rocking spoon. You were playing with facets. You and then well, this was, whole thing developed
1: from. I naturally. was actually just carving kind of these round bowl scoops, so you can yep. see they're kind of boat shaped, and there's no there's just regular random facets over the ball. And I was just working to get them balanced.
0: Okay. So they
1: do have kind of a flat spot on the bottom Mm -hmm. right here so that they will balance nicely when they're empty or when they're full. And then I said, well, I think I made an accidental cut somewhere. Um, I noticed that the ax work was leaving these three big facets down the front of the bowl. Yeah. And I decided, well... I'm not very good at the skinny facets, you know, the ones you see on like the handles of eating spoons that are real pretty and flat. Yeah, I'm not very good at those. So I decided, well, why don't I try making three really wide facets? Yeah. So I started with that. And then I just had set the scoop down. I was playing with the balance and noticed that it rocked a little bit. I Uh thought, well, what could make that rock a little bit better? How about I make it like rails on a yep. sled, and hollow out the centers. Yeah, and that's kind of like you know I've been doing all this sharpening of knives for years. And I, I when I sharpen, I'll do like a hollow grind on the bevel, and then flats over it. Okay, so that it's easy to sharpen, yep. and it also gives you a really fine edge. Well, that's sort of the same concept in the scoops that I'm doing now. Is they're they're concaved inside. So they leave these two points or rails, and then when you set the scoop down, it rocks back and forth Yeah, and balances real nicely. So that all kind of, all these ideas sort of mm-hmm. that I've been intuitively doing with my sharpening and my carving, they all kind of merged into that final form. And now I'm getting, I'm getting close to where I can get the scoop balanced well, and it will rock nicely. And okay. stay upright when it's empty. Okay, um, it's, it's very hard to keep the scoop balanced when it's empty without
0: doing some sort of
1: flat on the bottom.
0: Yeah, it has to so be you even to- more precise. It no, really the balance that really
1: science, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, the scoops tend to want to tip backwards. Yeah, like so. Yeah, and or they want to tip forwards if you get weight too much weight on one side or the other, they want that. Down-
0: yeah. Uh, and then this is again, as we sort of mentioned at the start, an idea that you will f- play with and further develop. It's right. really cool to see. Uh, one of the and, things definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll,
1: just, I'll just abandon it and move okay. on to something else. You know, I'll find some I'll probably make a mistake carving one of these and decide that, oh, that mistake <laughs> yeah. can lead in a different direction. Which is yeah. you know, it goes to a whole nother Thing about spoon carving I always worried about making mistakes when I started mm-hmm. and wasting and squandering wood well first of all I didn't know that I could get more wood yeah <laughs> I figured well if, I, if this is all I can find and it's really hard to find wood I don't want to waste it so I would be really mm-hmm. really particular about carving and, and not wanting to waste it or make mistakes but then I realized you know maybe around four years into this, that the mistakes, that's where all the new ideas are coming from. So yeah. just go chop something and make a whole bunch of mistakes <laughs> and you'll figure it
0: out. Yeah. Be brave um, and, uh, yeah. And do it. Yeah.
1: You know, don't be afraid to chop the bowl off the end or the handle. You might come up with something you really like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One one thing with most of your spoons, and maybe it's one of the, your kind of trademarks, is definitely uh, the crank. You make yeah. quite cranky <laughs> spoons, and this is something I think you've more or less stuck with a theme. Um, and yeah. so, what is it about? What do you enjoy so much about such crank?
1: I just love curvaceous spoons, and here's a yep. particularly cranky one. Yeah, and for me, it was the challenge of I have. I can't just go out and cut down bent limbs. I see them everywhere, but I can't just take them because you can't go into our forest reserves and just cut whatever you want at random. And they're very hard to come by for me these days. So I came up with the idea of, well, I'm going to have to manufacture my own crank into a spoon. I'm going to have to do it myself and figure out how to make it out of a straight grain log. because straight grain wants to run horizontal through the through the neck and the stem of the spoon which means that it's going to be weak yeah. so i had to come up with finding the right balance between the keel of the spoon and the kind of wood i was using which in most cases is cherry this is actually a piece of basswood okay. which is a very soft wood so i wanted to test the theory of how cranky can i make a spoon out of a really weak wood And apparently I got the design right Yeah. because this is just as good as, as any bent branch spoon I've ever carved. It's just as strong and just as cranky. Yeah. In some ways this one is a little too cranky, but you know, it, it was, I didn't carve it to be necessarily useful. I was just experimenting with, okay, how much crank can I really put into a spoon and you can get, on a straight grain piece, of spoon, almost a vertical handle. Yep. You go completely vertical, the grain won't support it. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of relax that into a log and you have a thick Mm -hmm. enough belt, Mm -hmm.
0: then
1: then it's very easy to manage the keel for strength and the handle and keep everything durable and strong. And still get a really kinky spoon out of a straight billet. Yeah. And as I said, I I don't have the opportunity very often to carve bent branches because I can't find them ones that are suitable. Bent branches are really tricky to find ones that are are the right shape and size and thickness and everything for the dimensions of the spoon you want to carve. Yeah. So. St- it just gives me more options to play with crank and mess around with it.
0: Yeah, a blank slate where you're free to yeah try those try those you're different free things. To
1: try out different different types of designs and see how the wood holds up under different stresses. Yeah, so it's really it's it's more of an engineering experiment, I guess. Yeah, um, anything just to see if I can really engineer a durable spoon. That isn't gonna gonna not isn't gonna break. Most people make relatively flat spoons. You don't need like here's a really old flat spoon. Yeah. And it's got kind of a dolphin shape. Uh-huh. And you really don't need much crank in a spoon to make it function. Yeah. You really don't, um, as this one proves it still sits nice in the hand and would work just fine. But I just think there's something more fun about using something that looks like that yeah. versus something that's that's kind of plain and flat and doesn't, doesn't have a lot of curve to it. Um, just this to me, I want to pick this up and use it.
0: Yeah. It, it's or inviting, it's isn't it? And, 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 and just the optics of the design of it. It's very pleasing to look at.
1: It's pleasing.
0: Is right. there, would you say there's anything then important to make to keep it usable with it with more crank? I mean, there's obviously if it gets too cranky, as you just said, it's not really? so nice to use. But is there anything else which is important to make a quite a cranky spoon, yeah, n- nice to use? You really just have to
1: I for me it's been just years of playing with it yeah. and seeing seeing what works. And again, it goes back to that you've kind of got to size up each individual piece of wood. And I typically, when I'm making a really cranky spoon like this, um, I'll typically start out by getting into a rectangular billet form versus Mm -hmm. using, like chopping through the bark or just cutting the log in half. I really want to have a, a clear set of dimensions that I'm working with. That way I know where I can sort of lay the, profile of the spoon into yep. the blank and i typically i'm starting like you can see how cranky this is this was probably a really tall billet yeah so probably three and a half to four inches tall to get a spoon that cranky out of it which again is a limitation if you don't have wood like that yeah you can't make a spoon like that yep. you're gonna have to make a flatter spoon yeah there's always it's just finding that balance in the fillet. There's always a trade-off where you can't push the bowl too much forward and you can't push the handle too much up. You yep. sort of have to find that balance. So this probably laid, I wish people could see this. Yeah, <laughs> I may. Somewhere like that. I don't know if you okay. can
0: describe
1: it. Yeah, I so would say. Thing, probably maybe three inches thick. Yeah. I just found a medium spot where I could push that crank through. Yeah. And then once the billet is carved out, then you can really start working on, okay, this is how it's going to sit in your hand. And, you know, there's different options for, do you want to make the handle more S-shaped? Do you want to make it more um, umbrella-shaped? Like you have one there. Yeah, you know, I this. have
0: two. That was nice for me to see. You have a yeah, upward sloping and and the I don't know what, what if there's a proper term for this, but the yeah, upwards mm-hmm. or downward sloping. I've instinctively mm-hmm. nearly all of my spoons are going upwards. For me, it, it always just felt that sits much Brilliant. better, this upward slope. But here I have your downward sloping and this feels very good. So you've obviously figured something out there uh to make what both
1: is- because I think people make in like an S-shaped handle where it yep. curves back. They put too much recurve in it. Okay. And it really should be more straight. Mm-hmm. Um, there should only be just a subtle curve to the back of the handle. And that generally fits real nice under the hand. Because your yep. hand wants our, the way we hold a modern spoon. We don't hold spoons like we used to. In the olden days, people held them. Sort of like this with their thumb. Yeah. And you have very wide, flat handles like the older Swedish style eating spoons have. Yeah. But modern days, we sort of make this triangle position with our fingers. Yep. And once you kind of understand that, you can sort of figure out okay, I, I need to have the heel. You can't have a very thick heel up here where your mm-hmm. triangle is, mm-hmm. but you can down here by the back of the bowl. Yeah, but it's just it's it's all experimentation, and that's just kind of the fun of it. Coming up with what shapes will work, and I'm always thinking (laughs) as I carve. I'm holding the spoon and popping it in my mouth and checking it and looking at it from different angles, and just thinking, okay, this is comfortable for me, but is this going to be comfortable for someone else to
0: use?
1: Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to to sort of skirt that balance
0: yeah but it seems yeah definitely like you you do a lot of testing and trial and as i say i have three quite different spoons of yours i would say but mm-hmm. all of them yeah they all sit very nicely in my hand so yeah you, you, yeah the ultimate
1: goal for me is to do different designs but yeah. to make them functional and feel nice
0: and work properly yeah well, you've done a good job that's there.
1: That's <laughs> sort of the art of spoon carving where it comes in. There's you have two sides of the coin there where the craft is sort of okay, do I know how to use the tools? Do I know what the knife grips are? Um, can I work the wood efficiently? You know, can I do this without can I rough out a blank in 15 minutes without spending all day doing it? That's the craft, and that's sort of the repetitious part. Yeah. And then you sort of, once you learn that, then you kind of get into the artistic side of it where, well, how can I play with the design of the spoon and the function and the look of it? Mm-hmm. And then you ultimately kind of want to meld those two halves of the coin together. And that to me makes, you know, your best spoons mm-hmm. when you can get the artistic side and craft side working in conjunction with one another you your goal, then you just you know. I when I get that, I think, man, that's just great.
0: Yeah, um, you're really free to yeah to just really to to go to for it. it.
1: Yeah, go for it and design and let your imagination take you in whatever direction that you yeah. want it to go.
0: Yeah. Wow, really, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, talking to to yeah. you with with so much, yeah, thought on your on your designs and. And um, like I say, your style, but within it, yeah, you're putting a lot of thought into it. So it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, great. Um one more question maybe would be maybe it's something with a business, but we touched on do you have have you kind of thought ahead what you want to do? Maybe not necessarily with the spoon designs, but with just your spoon carving if you want to, yeah try particular um, things or maybe more the workshops when we're allowed to do this again yeah anything I, I,
1: I was heading more towards doing the kind of um I call them relaxed workshops yeah and what we talked about before I really like the idea of that because I I enjoy seeing new people and faces yeah. and it's just it, it's a much more pleasurable experience in person not that I'm not having fun chatting about spoons right now. yeah because um, I am anytime somebody's interested in the craft and wants to talk about it, you know I always wanted to do something like this a podcast myself but never had the time for it. Yeah. so this is this is really fun. I really appreciate mm-hmm. doing it being able to do it. but I, I like to be doing stuff in person though ultimately yeah so I think that's where I would be headed is teaching small random classes and just getting a few people here and there interested in it, yeah continuing to plant the seed um, yeah and get people chasing the grain,
0: yeah, and so <laughs> it's wanting to share something which yeah brings so oh, much yeah. pleasure to your to your life oh, and oh, such oh, yeah. such a positive thing so i I share that. With you that I yeah, I want to share more of it and introduce I people really, to it.
1: Other than the occasional cut here and there on my finger, I really haven't found any negative side effects to screen yeah. carving. <laughs> um, yeah. Every part of the process seems to bring something enjoyable and positive. Yeah. <clears throat> and we need more of that in the world today. We don't yeah. have enough of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um,
1: and you don't, again, it's a thing that you don't have to be, you don't have to make the most spoons. You don't have to be the best at it. <clears throat> you just have to be satisfied with your own work when you're done. Yeah. And it, it seems like that's real easy for most people to do. Um, Just completing a spoon is satisfying by itself. So teaching, I, I think, is where I would like to go.
0: Yeah. And passing it on through that cool yeah all right yeah great yeah thank you very much um for taking the time it was really fun for me i'm still rather new to to it myself but that's part of the reason i enjoy this so much i learn a lot myself hopefully the people listening are also filled with new ideas and new inspiration and 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 thoughts for for their uh yeah, journey into the spoon carving world. So thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: I love talking to newer carvers too. That's part of why I like teaching the beginners because you guys have the beginner mind. I don't have it anymore so much. And I like to be able to go back and see those thoughts again and those ideas and where those folks want to take spoon carving. Mm -hmm. Because I know where I'm going with it for the most part most of the time and it's it's still inspiring to see beginners carving and picking it up for the first time and getting yeah. excited about it yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks
0: again yeah i'm um it's funny the first time i've done a podcast with a different time zone so for me it's time to mm-hmm. go and uh cook and have dinner with family and for you uh, to carry on with your day yeah have a good day greg good and time. uh yeah. we'll, we'll be in touch all right sounds good thank you again thank you bye 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 now thanks for listening to the podcast if you'd like to follow or contact Greg, you can find him on instagram at chasing the grain my name is simon Pooley, and as always if you want to contact me i would love to hear from you you can find me on instagram at roots spoons thanks very much and happy carving